gentlemen, my name is Aaron Rakefit, and uh, I'll learn your name is beginning in a week or now, a week from now. Uh, my classes, Nicole, I give two different classes. Um, these classes, if you attend, uh, I hope you attend because you're interested in the subjects and you want to broaden your knowledge, broaden your vistas. Those of you that need supplementary or been credit for attending alone, you gain the credit. Those of you that need graduate school credit, that involves uh, getting permission from the office and doing a, a mini paper for me. But graduate school credit is available. I don't just know the details. I let the office handle it, and when they give the word, then I'll work around with you the paper. Uh, I'll come back to the Sunday class in a moment. I just want to say that tomorrow morning I'm, we meet at 9 o'clock, and then it's a different class altogether. It's on my Rebbe, on the Rav Zechot Sadek Levracha. Now, I begin on time, I end on time. The reason uh, we begin 5.15, for years we began at 5, but it turned out that supper moved down a little bit later, and it gives the fellows more time in their Seder. So instead of knocking off at uh, 5, we can knock off at 5.15. That way you can knock off the Seder at 5, catch your breath. And 5.15 to 6.45 gives us uh, the two-hour shear, and it means that you're on time for supper. Now, about this course... Um, a few words of a few words of background. God has privileged me to a very fruitful and fascinating life. As a matter of fact, in a few moments, I'll begin my 41st year of teaching Torah, and I'm beginning in this room, in this place, in this school. Uh, I teach elsewhere, but I won't begin saying shirm for my female students until after Sukkot. That's the way the schedule works out. So first of all, I want to humbly paraphrase the prayer in Masechet Brachat, Hanichnas Levet HaMedrash. I plead to the Ebishter, first of all, I should have physical strength and uh, spiritual greatness and understanding. My mind should remain strong. Again, at your age, you don't understand that prayer, but at my age, I understand it all too well. I should make myself clear. I shouldn't be nechshal bedvah halacha, bedvah hashkafa, bedvah hashem. My students should understand me, and I should be zoicha lahabot Torah v'yirat shemayim. My life has been very fascinating, and uh, to just be very quick, when I got the telegram from Dr. Belkin that he wanted to see me, I had left the yeshiva. In 61, I went into the rabbinate. I was younger than you are. And uh, I was in the rabbinate in the spring of 62, it had to be. I got a telegram that Dr. Belkin wants to see me to be at the yeshiva on Monday morning at the, at the 10 o'clock. I made the big trip from Balakindad, Pennsylvania, uh, to the yeshiva. It was a big trip in those days. And um, I went into Mr. Abrams. Mr. Abrams immediately took me to Dr. Belkin, and Dr. Belkin... Uh, said to me, you're, we're appointing you a Rosh Yeshiva, we now have an opening, and uh, you're our next Rosh Yeshiva. And then Dr. Velkin said to me, B'zeh uh, you should know that I can shake any building in Washington Heights and shake out Rosh Yeshiva. But I need practicing rabbis, and they're rare to come by. And he says, I'm appointing you Rosh Yeshiva, but I'm making a condition that I want you to remain a practicing rabbi. Okay, and Yeshiva found me a position. I don't want to go into details now, but that's where I remained until my life changed. I changed my name, changed my year at Shemayim, and uh, came an Aliyah 
Berina seven, seven years later. But for seven years, I was Zeicha to be a Rosh Hashiva in YU and to be a rabbi in Maplewood South Orange. Now those words that Dr. Belkin told me, here I am in Eretz Yisrael and I had come in Aliyah. I was from the Tanei Hemuna. I didn't have enough faith. So I didn't want to come without a job. I had a wife and two ch- uh, three children at the time. I didn't want to come without a job. So lo and behold, whatever the reasons were, I was offered a job from Israel. The Encyclopedia Judaica, be a staff editor, accepted the job. 69, July 12th, 1969. I start working in the Encyclopedia. Not far from here, Kiat Moshe. Chov Hamiri too. And uh, that's... September, October, history is made. A new school opens, uh, is trying to open. It's called that first Machon Gold for boys. And it's the idea of exporting Torah from Israel to the Anglo-Saxon world. The first such school designed specifically for that. And later that uh, fall, the dean gets in touch with me. We had never met before, but he knew my brother from Washington. He was the dean of the day school there. My brother was a medical doctor in Washington. And uh, Whitey Horowitz knew I had a doctorate in Jewish history and asked me to teach Jewish history in BMT. And, of course, for the next 20 years, I taught in BMT. 71, the encyclopedia finished, and while they made me a big offer to remain with the printing house, with the printing firm Keta, Totsala R, I uh, felt I had to go back to teaching full-time. So among the places willing to give me a few hours and test me out was Michlala, Israeli division. And Rabbi Koopman says to me, and I quote, he says, I can shake any building and buy it for God and shake out a Talmud Chachem. But he says, I need something special. And he says, you have a doctorate in Jewish history and you're supposed to know how to learn. Do something for me. Give me a syllabus in response to literature. 48 hours later, I gave uh, Yudel Koopman, uh, or Yuki as he's known, I gave him an outline for a two-year survey course in response to literature. Uh, I haven't given that course in years already, over uh, almost a decade and a half since I left Mechala, but that course developed into a more intensive course in response to literature. And uh, now in the Kolel, uh, this is the third time I'm giving the course in the Kolel. We're now on a 12-year, 13-year cycle uh, although I've given this material twice before in the last uh, 30 years, even before the Kolel existed, there was a second-year program in BMT, and I gave it there. Then the day the Kolel opened, and the boys brought me into the Kolel faculty, which consisted of Rabbi Lichtenstein, then I was brought in, then the which was brought in by the boys, by the students. The students built this Kolel. Uh, uh, it was all the first year that it opened, but that faculty remained constant, the lower lane until Nechama passed on, and we lost our our star, our heart. Uh, the call is not the same since, with all due respect to a dummy like Aaron Rakefet. I, I don't have my listening, so God Hadar, Aaron Rakefet's a dummy, but uh, but still, without Nechama Leibowitz, it's a pale reflection of what once was. And of course, I want to pay tribute to my students, Reb David Miller, and to Reb uh, Harry Hefter, or Herzl Hefter, as I trust you know him. Now, so I, I got involved in response to literature. And this is not a, a popular course. It's a course for a Talmud Chacham. I used to require a thousand Daf Gemara to come into the course. 
nowadays, since there's a bit of a pichot hadaret, I don't want to repeat what David Miller just told me a few minutes ago. He says beard has turned more white, and he explained to me why. I don't want to repeat what David just told me a few minutes ago, but I'll only say I don't want to require a thousand dafka because I want to have students. But this course is so crucial, so important. Uh, I cannot stress it enough. With a da, with the Lavi conference in Israel, with the feminist movement, with with all that our world faces today. And let me make myself clear. Uh, I'm not here to tell you to be Haredim. The Haredi world has its own problems. It's a different story. But they don't have these problems. The problems I just mentioned a second ago, they don't have in Ger, they don't have in Bells, they don't have in Jewish Observer, they don't have in Agudah Yisrael. They don't have these problems. They have different problems. But we who live in the greater YU world and try to walk nimbly with Torah and Western civilization, since the Rav's demise, because see, Kozman the Rav lived, Kozman the Rav lived, if I paraphrase the Gemara and Rav, Gavid the this was the person we feared, you understand? Kozman the Rav lived, no one opened their mouths. If they opened their mouths, they opened it very, it was minori. It, it, was, it was a small opening. It wasn't the major opening. It wasn't the Bolshoi. Bolshoi is large. You understand? Quietly. Mali. Mali. That's the Russian word. A small, a small opening. But uh, when the rub is gone already, there's no one to anchor so-called the modern orthodoxy, whatever that word means. So we have real problems. And this course becomes a thousand times more important. I would like to believe, and maybe I'm naive, I would like to believe that a student who sat with me in this course for a year, for two, for three, for five, for ten, for twelve, such a student uh, would be a tremendous bentorah and understand the heartbeat of the halacha and would understand where we can tread and where we can't tread. He would know what the parameters are. He would have that feeling. He would never make a statement that when there's a rabbinic uh, will, there's a halachic way. You understand? That statement, which, which so many uh, people believe, so many good people have repeated it to me, and they believe it. I mean, that statement is not even conservative Judaism. That, that, that's, not, that's left-wing conservative. It's not even center-of-the-road conservative. Right? It's, it's frightening. And there are tragedies in life, and the rabbinate has a lot of difficulties, and we're under constant attack, but we have to know where we're coming from and where we're going, and, and, and how we handle it. And, and our, our Torah and our, our commitment, so it's a commitment of learning and knowledge and a halachic system and all that can be said about it. Now, uh, to be, now to be more specific... Obviously, when you talk about response literature, and just the other day, I attended a faculty meeting for the first time in many years. Uh, thank God the COLA functions without faculty meetings. But I intended a midrash, and I felt bad. I'm around as a faculty meeting. I didn't want to... It was worth my going just to meet Levi Yitzchak to see who some of the new faculty in midrashit are. That was worth my going. But outside of that, I mean, to have in my 41st year of teaching Torah that someone has to tell me to take attendance at the start of the hour, because if you take it at the end, the girls will come late. But it was interesting at the faculty meeting, when I, and, and I was sitting there, I have to tell you, you know, I feel young and, and I feel filled with spirit, but I looked around at myself and Rabbi Abram and Ruby, I said, I said, Ruby, we're two dinosaurs sitting here. 
What are we doing here with two relics from from ancient history? Put us in Jurassic Park. Uh, let Spielberg get to work on us and give ten percent of stock. I'll be happy. I have where to, I have you know courses he can put it into. Uh, but I, I mummish, I was Jurassic Park there. So one of the younger girls, one of the young faculty members, uses the word, Hitpatchut ha-halacha. So Rabbi Yodman is ready to kill her, and he corrects her on the spot, Hishtalshulut ha-halacha. And I told them they're both wrong. The word to use is the dynamics of halacha. Uh, what I want to convey to you is the dynamics of the halacha. And it'll take me 12, 13 years, but I'll get there. Now, it's not a popular course. This course is not for, uh, you know, it's not uh, a talk in Woodmere now. It's not a talk at KJ. This is to Philandonim, to, to entice you, to get you involved in learning, to produce post If I could have been a few different people, I, 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 I you know, psak, you have to have a chush for psak. And uh, you have to be a dayan. You have to, it's, it's, it's a chush, but all right. I feel I have that chush, but I never could give vent to it because I love teaching Torah more than being a Dayan. Uh, over the years, what I've done is the following. And it's topics that attract me. Uh, my rule of the thumb is always teach what you don't know. That's what my Rebbe taught me. The Rebbe always used to say, he chooses to teach what he doesn't know. And I, I, I understand, you know, exactly what he meant. I certainly understand it today. And uh, we never learned the Masechet. My years with the Rav, we never learned anything, you know, it was, it, it was Sanhedrin. And then it was the famous year that he did over Chaim and Chala. Of course, there were day we were stuck with one year. And Sanhedrin was two years. But it was, it was epic making. And I don't recall all my years in the yeshiva that the rabbi ever handled yeshiva shemesechta until the 70s. The 1970s, he did, for whatever the reasons were, he went back to Bab Metzir and then Baba Kama, etc. But always teach what you don't know. So the topics that I, that I teach and deal with uh, are all topics that I don't know. No, don't know, simply no one ever taught me these topics. These are all topics that I worked out over the last uh, few uh, generations from scratch. So if you've been with me from the start of this cycle, I dealt with the whole concept of chuppah v'kedushin. How is it some of you are married? Whoever heard of standing under a chuppah, giving a girl a ring, saying her atmakudeshitli, and a minute later, sheva brachas, uh, make a bari priyagafen within t- the 15 minutes of each bari priyagafen, what's going on here? This wedding ceremony we have today, there's not a trace of it, not in the Torah Shabbatav, not in the Torah Shabbatav. So I spent over a year, how do we come to marry a girl the way we do in the year? Uh, by the way, in this classroom, it is now 1959. I have to caution you in advance. When everyone goes crazy, it's the year 2000. My classroom goes back to 1950. There are reasons why I refuse to leave the 1950s. I don't want any part of what's going on today in the world that you have to struggle with. A Torah Jew lives in the past, plans for the future. He never pauses in the present except to daven and to eat a meal. Outside of that, you are a terrible sinner if you live in the present. You don't understand what Torah is all about if you live in the present. You are, an, you, you are, a, a, you're, you are not a Yerei 
and you have no feeling for Torah and tradition and no understanding of what it's all about, what came before you and what's coming after you. That's what counts. So I have to caution you in advance. In one respect, it's the year 2000. On the other hand, we're heading very gleefully back to 1950. I'm looking forward to it. And to think in 1950, Joe DiMaggio had his last good year. 1950, right? 51 was the finale. And remember his words, if I'm not Joe DiMaggio anymore, it's no fun, no fun to play baseball if, you, if I can't play on my level. And those are important words. Now, so I spent the whole year, I spent the whole year on Hathkot Kedushin. I spent the whole year on, on Tanai, on Tanai Bekedushin. I, 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 totally involved in Dini Yishut. In the future, Be'ez Rattashem, I'll get involved with International Dateline, I'll get involved with Yantav Shani Shilgalyot, I'll get involved with, uh, with Geirut. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I have uh, an unbelievable amount of material, which the last time around, I didn't finish it, this time around I, I'm going to do it, no matter how long it takes, dealing with the Holocaust, it'll take me two years, two and a half years, but it, but it has to be dealt with. Now, for this year, last year, and I want to finish it off, uh, Today and next week, Be'ezrat Hashem, I'm dealing with the classic Aguna. Then from there, I want to sail into, I want to touch upon a topic that I've never touched upon before, actually, but I, it fits right in with Tarat Yisrael, Tarat Mishpacha. I want to deal with, uh, can we believe someone when he says he's a Jew? The problems we have today, very serious problems with the Russian Aliyah, for instance. I want to deal then with Chshash Mamzei Rut, and the heart of the year spent on Mamzei Rut, and then deal with Mamzerut, the individual, the community, get involved with B'nai Yisrael, the Ethiopians, etc. Now, coming back to the classic Aguna, I use the word classic Aguna because all of you know that there's an Aguna today that's destroying uh, the rabbinate, destroying uh, modern orthodoxy, energizing the women's libbers, and that is a self-inflicted Aguna. Where you know where the man is, he's alive, he's tangible, he's breathing, he eats, He's cruel, he's mean, all that matters to him is money, he refuses to give a get, he doesn't want to make a joint property settlement, the woman that he loves so much, he hates with a passion, all this is true. That's not the classic Aguna. That's the Aguna we have today. It's a terrible, terrible problem. I've spoken about it publicly many times, I published an article in Hamavasa last year, uh, Rabbi Rechman's solution is not a halachic solution. It's a solution of conservative Judaism or worse. It just halachically does not get off the ground, period. As I've shown my students time and again on Hafkat Kedushin, wherever there was Hafkat Kedushin retroactively, if you take the Gemara and Gittin, Daflamid Gimel, there's one other case in Chazal too, retroactively Hafkat Kedushin, there was always a get. Where there's a get al the Gemara in Ketuvah, I can't go into details now. You have to assume you know what I'm talking about. The Beetle Shalobef Neha Shliach, the Gemara in Gittin, there was a get there. The problem was that the get had a psul to it. So the rabbis were machshir the psul, al yadei hafkat kedushin. That's the way the Rishonim learned the Gemara. But in the contemporary cases, there's no get. If the man gave a get, there wouldn't be a problem. You can't come along 10, 20 years later, hocus pocus, say hafkat kedushin. You can't come along and say, the man, uh, she, she married a man, his eyesight got worse. 
Had I known that his glasses would have gone from, I don't know, I don't think about glasses, well, that's my brother had it, my brother's an ophthalmologist, my brother had it, but had I known that he went from a chvase 100 to 140, I would have never married him. That's not a mekach talk, you understand? If a guy had a pimple on his face and it grew into a wart, had I known the pimple would become a wart, I would have never married him. That's not a mekach talk, you understand? If, if I knew the guy had a temper, most men have tempers. It depends. Is, is it a normal temper? Well, I, I, again, I, 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 most men. I have to tell you, I haven't got angry. What year was the last time I was angry, Danny? Tell the class. No? Jack, tell the class. When's the last time I was angry? It's 1972. Get it right. All right. I was angry last in 1972. I Believe me, I still clap al hate made a fool out of myself in front of a class. What I get angry about is really politics. Uh, please, even the, even the turban and everything that's gone on now, Rav Ovadius Heta, doesn't get me angry. It just doesn't get me angry because you can't live in the present. If you live in the present, you can't be wealthy enough. You have to rip Korea every 20 minutes. You turn on the Israeli radio for news, Every 30 minutes, Rabbi Vajra, Kriya. This one, Kriya. That one, Kriya. Forget it, live in the past. Forget it, not now, not now. I'm not answering any questions. Introduction. But most men have tempers. But you have to know whether it's a normal temper or a clinical temper. I can make a case for Fafkat Kedushin if, if a girl married, Danny gets married, and the girl finds out that Danny has such a bad temper and in Philadelphia he was institutionalized. You understand? And she didn't know it. If that's the case, you got a case. Perhaps. But if the guy threw a paper on the floor in anger, he's a fool, he's a dummy, but it's not enough, Avkot Kedushin. You understand? And, and what, what, what Rabbi Rackman did, it undermined the Orthodox Rapnet in America. I can tell you stories where I suffered personally with students, with involvement. It's frightening. Because people believe Rabbi Rackman is an Orthodox rabbi. He may be a Mekiel, but he's not a Kaldat. That's what people believe. It's a tragedy. But I'm not talking about that type of Aguna. The only solution is on two levels. One level is education. We have to educate a man from the age of three on that the fact that you have to give a get doesn't mean that you torture the woman. If I may call the Vavram Pam, we get married in dignity, we have to get divorced in dignity. But Bavram Pam's story, I guess, sometimes Jewish Observer has fabulous articles. When they write anything Rabavram Pam, the Rosh, you know what Bavram Pam is, first of all, the Rosh Hashiv of Teravadas. Uh, he should only have Rafu Shlem. He's an old man, he's not well. I just was with his brother yesterday, so he gave me a whole health report. It's an older brother, but the older brother's in better health. So Rabavram Pam tells the following story. In Europe, this guy comes to the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, I have to divorce my wife. So the Rav said, you have to divorce your wife. You're, you're from people. You seem so happy. What's the problem? He says, Rebbe, can't talk, can't tell you, can't say a word. Got to divorce her. All right, the Rav gives the get. After the Rav gives the get, he says, now tell me what was wrong. He says, Rebbe, this poor woman is all alone. She's now a divorcee. She doesn't have a husband to protect her. How can I speak against this woman? Right, that's the way. Sometimes something goes wrong. The Torah allowed for a get. But in dignity, we must hit away at education. And the second way to handle it is the Rakefet way. I'm a primitive. I'm a dinosaur. I believe every word in Chazal is true. Period. I've lived long enough. 
Every syllable is true. You tie him to a tree. You start start whipping him. You can't, if you can't whip him, get a few schwarzer to whip him for you. It's still, uh, it, it still isn't a get musa because he's doing it for the Jews. Whip the hell. Either he drops dead or he gives a get. That's all. Problem solved. She I'm a primitive guy. But of course the world won't listen to me because I'm a dinosaur. You have to be sophisticated today. You can't just beat a guy till he dies. So educate, educate, educate. Now, what we dealt last year was the classic aguna. The classic aguna, of course, means that a man walks out of the house and you never hear from him again. And this is a terrible problem. Um, to give a simple example, a man left on a business trip. Middle Ages, modern times, 1800s. Guy leaves his house in Germany, he has a new product, he's going to Poland. He intends to sell the product in Poland. The wife never hears from him again. Make it more tangible. Person goes out to fight. The Jews now have come out of the ghetto. Once they come out of the ghetto, they go into the armies. Once they go into the armies, they're part of the Russian-Crimean wars, the Russian-Japanese wars, World War One, World War Two, Svahaganali Israel. The man goes into battle. He's never heard from again. A plane, a plane takes off. Yeah, you have a classic example, something tangible. Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, who was he married to? How many of you from Kew Gardens Hills? Ruth Schoenfeld. It's their second marriage. Rabbi Schoenfeld's first wife, Lottie, died of cancer at a young age. She was a sister to Chief Rabbi, to Lord, to the to the Lord of the British Empire, uh, Rabbi Emanuel Jacobowitz, the the good Lord. That was his sister. She died young. Um, yeah, she died young. It's interesting because Rabbi Jacobowitz's wife's sister died young as well. She was married, Miriam. She was married to many of you had as a Rebbe, my classmate. I grew up with him, Rabbi Banspiegel. You follow me? Rabbi's first wife was Lady Jacobowitz's sister. Uh, Lord Jacobowitz, his sister, was married to Rabbi Schoenfeld. Four children died young. Uh, Ruth Schoenfeld was married to a Hasidish Jew. She herself is the daughter of a Rebbe. And uh, was a survivor, Hasidish Jew. They had four children, a wonderful marriage. And he went on a plane to South America. November. It's the 50s, late 50s. I forget already. Early 60s. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of from Jews were on that plane because it left after Shabbos and these were all import-export people. If you know anything about Queens, it was built up, the whole Orthodox community was built up by Jews, who, uh, survivors, who, who did very well in the import-export business. There's uh, legendary stories of people who achieved wealth after the rebuilding themselves in America and had no education. The years that they should have been educated, they were in the concentration camps or the death camps, Lower Leno. And the plane went down in the New York Channel, New York Bay. And I don't know, it took a, I, don't, I, I believe ultimately the bodies were recovered. But it, uh, or, or maybe they weren't even recovered. I remember Rabbi Moshe has a shiva. But at the point that the bodies weren't recovered, the woman's an aguna. No, this, this is a live, tangible, classic aguna. This is not anything that we constructed. 
This is not a human frailty. This is not a result of human foibles. This is not a result of meanness or cruelty. This is a result of life. And it's a result of the fact that, according to the Torah, we cannot make the assumption you see in every Western legal system. And that's where the problem begins. Because all of us in this classroom have two heads. If we don't have two heads, we're in trouble. Danny, who am I quoting? Oh my gosh, Danny, you better... Would I quote a dummy like Rakefet? Danny, you better order the first copy of the Rav. Have you ordered yet? There are over 800 orders as of last Wednesday. You better order. And in volume two, you will find it. The Rav says it. That's the Rav's famous part. He says... Some people accuse me of having two heads. They're correct. Better two heads than no head. Uh, but what the Rav was saying in a very important talk that he gave in the mid-50s, what the Rav was saying was that when we live in the Western world, we, don't have, to, we have to keep it different than Torah. We have a head for Torah and a head for, for secular subjects, a head for the Western world. Not always can we integrate the two, not always can we synthesize the two. Sometimes what we can do is let the two heads exist in harmonious coexistence. Our problem is that because we're part of the Western world, every Tom, Dick, and Harry knows that in the Western world, in America, in England, in Australia, in, in Russia, in every civilized country, there is a concept of missing and presumed dead. And in every American state, you can check the law. The states vary. People don't realize America has a federal government, but these laws of personal status are governed by the state, not the federal government. In every state, there's a different time limit. Some states, if you don't hear from your husband three years, five years, seven years, ten years, you go to court, you prove you haven't heard from him, the court gives you permission to remarry. Missing and presumed dead. And if the man comes back, and there was a famous case like this at the revolutionary period, if the man comes back, it doesn't matter because the court gave you permission to remarry. You are not a bigamist. In halacha, we have a terrible problem because with all the rabbis in the world, with all that the rabbis can be matir, it's not hocus pocus. Either the guy's alive or the guy is dead. And if the guy comes back, with the greatest Rabbanim giving Heterim the Chazonish and Rav Avram Yitzchak Cohen Cook and Rav Ovadja Yosef and, and Rav Moshe Feinstein put in whatever name you want. The greatest Rabbanim giving the Heter for her to remarry if the first husband comes back you're finished. The, the, the children are Mamzerim. The Gemara say Mizer, Mizer. She doesn't have a Ketuvah, not from the first husband, not from the second husband. The children are Mamzerim. One set of Mamzerim, it's, it's, it's frightening, frightening what, what the results are. And, and, and all the rabbinic heter in the world is not going to help if the husband is still alive. So, so this is a terrible problem because if the man is alive, the woman is married to him. It doesn't matter where the man is. She's in Russia, he's in America. She's in Yerushalayim, he's someplace in Egypt or someplace in Damascus in captivity. She remains a Neshatish. And this is the heart of the problem. And we have struggled with this problem since the Gemara and Yavama, the last two Prakam. There's a tremendous amount of material. And throughout the ages, there is no other topic in all of rabbinic literature that has attracted 
as much attention, as many questions, as responsa, as this topic. This you look at the, at Otsar Poskim, the from volumes uh, the three to volume nine. You have seven massive volumes, totally devoted to just one Simon and Shulchan Aruch, with unbelievable endless material on the Akona. Now, I just want to review the basic principles briefly, and then we'll pick up. I just want to review very briefly. Logically speaking, if a man is on a plane that crashes, falls into the ocean, if a man is on a battlefield where thousands have killed, if a man was in a concentration camp, a death camp, and does not return, logically speaking, what do you say? Logic, the man is dead. And the truth of the matter is, halacha works with hasaka. Halacha works with the concept of rov. All of you know, how do we know who our fathers are? How do we know who our fathers are? It's a very fascinating halachic question. The Gemara deals with it. Yerusha, other problems. How do you know who your father is? You can only be sure who your mother is. You can never be sure who your father is. And what is the halachic klal? No, help me out. Rav bilot acharei habal. So all of you understand that because we say a woman lives mainly with her husband, even if she isn't discreet, but we're not chayshish. That's why if our father's a Kohen, we're a Kohen. If our father's a Levi, we're a Levi. If our father's Yisrael, we're Yisrael. That's how we can inherit our parents. That's how we know who we can marry, who the Arayat are to us. This is our father. This is our mother. Rov bilot habal. You're learning your Adeya. So much of your Adeya follows Chazaka. You get involved with Treifat. The whole tremendous question. Sichat. What are you boldake? How much do you have to be boldake? Where are you boldake? The lungs, beyond the lungs. And you'll see very well that where there's a rove, where you can assume that the overwhelming majority are kasher, you don't have to be boldake. The problem only begins when there is a miut hanimtza. But otherwise, you can always follow the rove. And you'll see chazaka. Time and again with Kalim and Shilas, you're Lomachikun and Isur. I mean, this is so important to Yiddishkeit. If you walk in, you find a milk like a spoon and a flesh like a sink. No, you take it out, you clean it off, you don't have to kasher it, make a hadin. All right, my daughters drive me crazy, I kasher for everyone. So, they, all right, Ravcha de Milta, but Meika hadin, Lomachikun and Isur. There's a Chazaka. Chazaka is that it's kasher. So, why here are we so machmir? And of course, this is the Gemara in Yavamad, the famous Gemara Kuf Chafalev, tremendous sukya, and this falls under the rubric of Mayim She'englehem Sof. In other words, here we have one problem. Miracles happen. And the Gemara relates, Rabbi Akiva, another paragraph, Rabbi Meir, were on ships that crashed in the ocean. People were already mourning them. People are really eulogizing him, like the Israeli Knesset. See, you never thought. You, you couldn't believe that the Gemara is telling the truth. You saw it here in the Israeli Knesset. Avram Borg is eulogizing Rubinstein. I care and form three o'clock in the morning in tears. Beautiful eulogy. Guy's alive and kicking. They didn't wake him up in the hospital. It's a shame. He could have heard his own eulogy. 
But uh, the nurses wanted him to sleep because he was getting over a heart attack. You know, I'm told this just happened a few few weeks ago here. It's mind-boggling. This is a Knesset. This is a Moshav Leitzanim. It's, it's unbelievable what you have there. It's Purim all year. To walk into the Knesset, to be a Chavir Knesset, you're allowed to, men can wear women's clothes, women can wear Ramah. What you can do on Purim, here you can do it all year. It's absolutely mutter. They must be drunk. That's how they say all these things. To begin with, they're drinking. So they interpret it, Purim is all year. So They were eulogizing. The Gemara says it. They were crying. That was on the boat. The boat was wrecked. And then the guy walked in. And they asked, what happened? And a miracle happened. Yes, each wave overtook him. He flowed with the wave. He flowed with the wave until he reached the shore. So Chazal was so worried that if this can happen, they made a Gezerah. It said, Gezerah the Rabbanon. We call this Gezerah Mayim She'engle himself. And what it means is very simple. If it's a little, little kiddie pool and somebody drowns, and I can see all sides of the pool, then if I testify, this man went under, I watched the pool for the next hour, he never came up. That's enough to be Mata the Isha. But if it's at the ocean, if it's at the sea, if it's at the Mediterranean, if it's at the Atlantic, the Pacific, a big body of water, the Hudson River, and all I can testify is, I saw the body fall into the water. I saw the ship explode. I saw the plane sink. I saw the guy jump off the George Washington Bridge. But I don't know what happened afterwards. It's a big ocean. It's a big body of water. It's, it's, a, it's the Yam HaGadol. It's also my Shabarashit. Ah. That's the Gezerah. Maim Shemla himself. We're not Samach on the Rov. We're not Samach on the Chazaka. It's a tremendous fear of Eishetish, Chas V'chalila Mamzeret, and therefore it's not enough to be Matir. Now, since it's a Dinder Rabbanon, do you all know the Klal? Suffolk the right to Lechumra, Suffolk the Rabbanon Lekula. But here, the Chachamim built into the Dean of Maim Shainla himself, that even though it is a Suffolk the Rabbanon, you have to be machmir. It's built into the din. It's intrinsic to the halacha. It's intrinsic to the din. Yes, that's if there's one suffolk. But if you can have two sveikot, nothing in the world can stand in the way of two sveikot. What do we call this principle? What's the flip side of two sveikot, sveik sveika? It has a very specific name in Heteragona. Prey rube. Two majorities. Prey rube. Two majorities. Two roads. Now, to give you a little pride. We're all sitting here under the aegis of one of the largest centers of Torah in the contemporary world, both in 1950 for me and both in the year 2000 for you. All of you know that Yeshiva University begins one of the two schools that form it. One was Eitzchayim and the other one was Yeshivat Rabbeinu Yitzchak Elchanan. My dear students, 
Nobody but nobody is more identified with Heteragunah than Rabbi Isaac Elchanan Specter. Rabbi Isaac Elchanan Specter, the great Rav of Kavna, was one of the great poskim of the 20th century, the second of the 19th century, the second half of the 19th century. But more than being a great posek, he not only was matir thousands upon thousands of agunat, but he paved the way for all the subsequent heterim that come about in the 20th century. And every heteraguna that's given after World War One and after World War Two and after the Holocaust and in the State of Israel, all heterim that are given go back to Rabbi Yitzhak Alchanan Specter. And I refer you here in parentheses to Volume Two of Rakafat Aharon, where there is a major paper on Rabbi Yitzhak focusing on the Trey Rubei and this aspect of Rabbi Yitzchel and Psak. Now, he didn't invent it. Obviously, it's like Reb Chaim's derech. It's not that Reb Chaim totally invented his derech. The Rav many times spoke about the traces of Reb Chaim that you find in Rishonim, in certain Achronim. And it could very well be that there was a malamed that Reb Chaim had in his youth that had a great impact on him. Nefesh Sharaf talks about it. But Reb Chaim formulated it, popularized it, made it tangible. The same thing with this heter, with this concept. We already find traces in Reb Chaim Volajin, in the Chut HaMeshulash. We already find traces in the Chatam Sofa. But Rabbi Yitzchel turned it into a formal tool of the trade and being matir and a gunner and an outline kind of do it. And what time and again in his many, many trivia I discussed last year, I gave the exact number, it's, it's, I don't recall, but it's well over 150 trivia dealing with a gunner. And time and again he wrote, I'm spelling out how I'm going to be matir because I want future generations and Rabbanim to see what I'm doing and to understand these principles and to have the skeletal outline. And what Yitzchel did is very simple. First of all, in all these cases that we outlined, there was always a major majority the first drove, the majority of people on a plane that crashes, if they're not heard from, the people are dead. The majority of people that were in Treblinka, Auschwitz, what have you, if they're not heard from, are dead. The majority of people that were in Turkey and were there, Lohalainu, when the houses came crashing down, even if they don't have the body, if they're not heard from, they are dead. And you can go on and on in all these specific cases, seeing whether you don't have the first drove of the mind Sheinlech himself, which now is not strong enough to be Matir, because the Rabbanim made a Gezerah, 
But at least on the first level, you have the first row. Then there's a second row. And this second row goes back to a shitat rishonim, Reb Lezameh Verdun, one of the Balei Tosfat, by the way, one of the later Balei Tosfat, uh, uh, quoted in Tosfat. He said something that all his contemporaries dismissed. He said, you can make an assumption. If the man hasn't returned, there was a crash of a boat off Pizarro in Italy. And there are two versions. I showed two variant readings. I showed it to my students last year. One says four years, seven years went by. Four years or seven years go by. The husband doesn't come back. You can be matted the Aguna for sure he perished in the waters. And this assumption or chazaka of Rablaisimir Vadun is called halachically Avad Zichro. Avad Zichro. We forgot he's alive. He's gone. The dead are forgotten. Avad Zichro. This is the technical name it was given. 1200s, the 1300s, the 1400s, 1500s, they dismissed this viewpoint. But nevertheless, it's a viewpoint of one of the late Balei Tosfat, of a Rishon. In modern times, the second row is based upon the Avadzich row. And this already was developed by the Chatam Sofa and everyone that came afterwards. It's a global village. Everyone here knows what happened in the 19th century. Male. What you take for granted. International male. It's a revolutionary idea. Then you have the telegraph. Rabbi talks about it. Then you have the telephone. Today it's unbelievable. Everyone walks around with a cellular phone. It's, it's mind-boggling. You sit in a bus, you hear people talking, you look up, you think they're talking to you, you don't want to be not friendly. So in Israeli buses, everyone is talking. They're not talking to you. They're not talking to each other. They're on the phone. A kid is sitting there from BMT. He's talking to America. He's talking to his girlfriend in Flatbush. What, he should miss a day? He shouldn't speak with his girlfriend? Chas v'chalila. Hamachadish betuvah. B'chol yom tamid. Masevereshit. B'chol yom tamid. It's a different world today. More than that, the whole idea of consuls, embassies, you lost your passport, you've lost your money, an emergency has happened. All of you know you're American citizens, you're Canadian citizens, you're Australian citizens, you're Israeli citizens. You have where to turn. This is a modern concept. The International Red Cross. To me that I read, this is about the Grand Concourse. If you're from the Bronx or your parents, it's a fascinating article. I'm from the Bronx. I grew up uh, within an easy walk of Yankee Stadium. Back here. Now in modern times, the 
Avadzichro, the Chazaka, the concept of Merlesimir Vadun is a thousand times stronger. And if the man survived, you should have heard from him by now. He would have called you, faxed you, telegraphed you, wrote you a letter, the Red Cross, the embassy, the consul, the cellular phone. There's instant communication. And this is the second row. If a reasonable amount of time goes by and he hasn't contacted you, it's a sign that he is dead. My dear friends, all the acronym stress, common sense has to be applied. What do you mean a reasonable amount of time? After a car crash, after a turkey incident, after a plane crash, Nowadays, a Rav HaPosek, a Talmud Chacham, would require the woman to wait one year. If in one year, he hasn't contacted, you can permit it to remarry, majority of people on the plane perished, majority of people who survived would have contacted their wives within a reasonable period of time. Following the Holocaust, you had to wait at least two to three years. I've said this many times, I'll repeat it again because not many of you were in my shia last year. You can't start to understand how helter-skelter the world was then. Today you have computers. Everything would be fed into a central computer. Some of you know that I work for the part of the Israeli government that doesn't make the headlines. I volunteered, I was volunteered, I was latched onto and I can speak about it freely although there was a security clause on me until about two and a half, three years ago and it's still hard for me to talk about it but I have to start talking because I owe a lot of people a memoir exactly what happened and how we were involved in what we did but anyway because a lot of people risked their lives for me but I want to tell you something we had in a secret place in Tel Aviv that you had to go through clearance twice to get into that place. You had to go through clearance once to get in to the general compound and another time to that, to, you know what was in there? We had a computer with the name of every refusenik in the Soviet Union. And whenever someone came out, you took names, you went to the computer, if they're not in, we added. If they were in, the computer said we have it. You don't know what a world it is today. Following World War II, they had handwritten lists, cards. Each organization had its own set of cards. The Jewish Agency, which until today has a little unit that searches for missing people, missing relatives. The Red Cross. The Central Relief Committee. In other words, the American organizations. Hayas. The Varhatsala. You have any idea what went on? It was so primitive compared to the world of today. You don't remember what it was like to bank before computers. I still shiver shake. I go, I wave my card, I get a printout to the last second, the minute before what happened in my account. 
One time you had to wait for the checks to come back and then and 60 days later when you had to sit and go. Today, it's instant. It's a different world. Well, that's banking. Think in terms of finding someone. The world has improved a million times over due to the computer. And after World War II, mistakes were made. And you have the most classic mistake of all that we'll deal with. We'll deal with this later this year. We're going to deal with it. I found what I was looking for. It was in my notes. We're going to deal with it. The classic case. Guy wound up... Danny. Guy wound up in B'nai Brock. Pardon me, the guy wound up in Borough Park. It's also B'nai Brock. Borough Bark, BB. And the woman wound up in B'nai Brock. And you don't remember Israel before the Six-Day War which was a little Israel, Jerusalem was a, was, was a hamlet, was a nothing. So when from Jews got off the plane, they finally made the big trip to Israel. Shragai, the first thing they did. B'nai Brak. Nothing to see in Jerusalem, but B'nai Brak. That was the Vishnitz, Panovich. This guy finally saved up enough money, makes it to B'nai Brak, and on the streets of B'nai Brak, he meets his wife. His first wife, the wife that he saw last in 1941. She remarried, had two children in Yeshiva Ponovich Litzirim, remarried with, with Hatayim from Gedole Gedole Yisrael. He remarried, which with a man is, we spoke about this last term, it's not the end of the world because a man can have more than one wife. It's only a cherem de Rabbeinu Geshem. So under these circumstances, the cherem is not the end of the world. It's b'shogeik. But the woman is an eshetish. The kids are mamzerim. These are two kids learning in Panovich Yeshiva. And these two kids may very well be mamzerim. What do you do? What a story. It happened. It happened here in Israel. Late 50s it has to be. Late 50s. And we'll come back to it later this term with, with the little that survives and maybe I have more than anyone in the world today because I'm the only one that has a document. A document. How much I researched, how much I tried. I even asked Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank's son but uh, Rav Tzvi Pesach wouldn't allow one word to appear in writing and evidently all the documents were squelched. I have something. But that's a story. That's frightening. Two kids. We're not now talking the Lange kids. We'll deal with the Lange kids. All right, but the Lange kids were in from. So you can't identify. That's the why I got mad in 72, you should know. Michalad, the Israeli girls were going crazy cursing out Rav Gorin. And I, I, I told him, he's right, halachically. I don't understand what's going on here because, because it's unbelievable. You don't hang a boy and a girl. All right, they were in the Israeli army. But forget about the Lange case. These are two kids in front of a yeshiva. The mother remarried with a heta from Gedole Gedole Haposkim. She wound up in Menei Brak, the husband wound up in Borough Park. It's frightening. But this is the trade of And all the heterim are based upon it. Now, there has to be common sense. Following the Holocaust, you had to wait at least two to three years. At least two to three years. That had to be common sense. Now we're coming down to Inyana Diyoma. 
Israel at war. No war left us with as many agunot as the Yom Kippur war. You have to remember that the war of independence was basically fought at home. Right in your backyard. Mifsa Kadesh, the Sinai campaign, 56, was a very quick campaign, very orderly, very smooth, a minimum of casualties. Six-day war, blitzkrieg, orderly, a minimum of casualties. The Yom Kippur War, brutal. Israel was totally surprised. How she was totally surprised, it's hard to comprehend. Everyone at the Suez Canal saw what was happening. Hundreds of telegrams were sent to Golda by soldiers, by people at the canal. Israel did absolutely nothing to prepare. Probably Kissinger is to blame. I trust future historians will analyze it and go through the papers. That born Jew who was once Shomer Shabbos, a member of Ezra in uh, Germany, who wrote an essay on Mitzvah Jishiverich Israel in Hebrew when he was 12 years old before the Holocaust and won a prize and the world Agurich Israel found it in their files, presented it to him. But we all know where Kissinger is subsequently with Nancy, etc. His, no, no, I'm being very serious. He may have the blood on his hands of thousands of Jews. His viewpoint was that Israel has to get beaten once. That'll give the Arab countries a feeling of superiority and then they'll be willing to make peace. Because if you know Arab mentality, if you know those of you that are from the Eidot HaMizrachir, over the years I had a lot of students in BMT Syrians and they taught me the Syrian mentality. I'm very, I mean, with some of them, I'm still very close until this very moment, although I taught them after 20 plus years ago. But uh, I, I never visited America without going to see Isaac Sutton. I just threw out one name of one of my students uh, at that period. But Isaac taught me what the mentality of the Eidot HaMizrach is. Our prestige, our covered, taught me a lot. And he said, this is Arab mentality. We inherited it from our surroundings. And, and this was Kissinger's viewpoint. That if the Arabs don't get back their kavod, they will never make peace. So the Yom Kippur War came, Israel was totally, completely, absolutely unprepared. Those of us that lived through it will never be the same again. Till the Yom Kippur War, we had confidence in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Svah Ali Yisrael. Following the Yom Kippur War, I only have confidence in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not Svah Ali Yisrael. It's run by humans and humans Without Torah, without Yerat Shemayim, Shem Yerachim. Bakochi biotzum yadi. Thousands were killed. The opening of the war, until today, it is impossible to understand al piderech teva 
how Egypt didn't reach Beersheba the first day and how Syria didn't reach Tiberia. They say with the Egyptians that they could have really reached Beersheba, but they were certain that it was a trap, that Israel had large army in the Sinai and they didn't want to go further. They paused and that pause enabled us to call up the reserves and it was helter-skelter. This was not an organized call-up. This wasn't the Six-Day War. This wasn't Mitzah Kadesh. This wasn't even Muhammad Hashichrua. This was helter-skelter while those of us that lived it on Yom Kippur and after Yom Kippur and running and coming and going and, and without shoes, without preparation and, and with Syria and Egypt armed and ready and fighting to the teeth. Not only that, the Yom Kippur War was a nightmare on a different level. Surprise was only... I can't take any whispering while I speak. I have a very weak voice. 41 years of teaching, you have to bear with me. It's not nice to tell students who are older than me not to whisper, but you have to bear with me. You're older than me, I acknowledge it. There are reasons why you're older. I'll explain it perhaps Tuesday night when I redo my Joe DiMaggio eulogy but a different shear altogether, it's going to be based on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Uh, but you have to bear with me. Uh, Jack has the details. It's for Amuna women. If you're married and you want your wives to have a good time, bring them. It's Amuna women. It's uh, Jack. Uh, you tell them the address after class if anyone's interested. Bear with me. We had a second problem in the Yom Kippur War. We're going to deal with it today, deal with it next week. A terrible problem. The Six-Day War was won by the Air Force. All of you recall that before the news could even be out, the Arab Air Force was totally destroyed, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. Six-Day War, the Arabs with the Soviet help, had perfected the anti-plane missiles. Some 20% of the Israeli Air Force was knocked out of the sky. Understand what that means? 20%. You know how many bodies were never recovered? Until today, by the way. You understand the problems? Not only that, the Six-Day War already you had a tremendous amount of anti-tank missiles in the hands of the Arab armies. You know the difference between an anti-tank missile and battles before before the Six-Day War, basically, or before the Yom Kippur War, if a tank suffered a direct hit, you still could identify bodies. With the Yom Kippur Warlow Elenu, you came to a tank, all that remained was a heap of ash. Go and identify the bodies in the tank. Go and identify what happened to people who parachuted over the Suez Canal, never to be heard from again, or people who parachuted into enemy territory. The problems here, the amount of agunit we first had after the Yom Kippur War, I remember vividly 
a demonstration at the Knesset by the Agunit, Agunat, there were around to 900 women demonstrating. Mechalar alone, among our graduates, we had over a million of women who were Agunat, among them my own students. Now what's amazing with the Yom Kippur War is not one Aguna remains a few years afterwards. Everyone but everyone got a head to remarry. And there the question comes up, fine, how long do you have to wait? The first drove is obvious. The majority of people on a plane that's hit by a missile and we don't hear from them, they're dead. The majority of people on a battlefield, the tank that is hit by a missile, by anti-tank fire, we don't hear from them, they're dead. There's always the second majority, had they remained alive, they would have contacted their families. How long do you wait? What do you mean had they remained alive? Take a look. Three boys are missing. From Sultan Yaakov, 1982, Baumel, Feldman, Katz. Until today, the Israeli army does not know what's happened to these three boys. Along with Rana Rad, they're the only four soldiers that are considered missing, whereabouts unknown. Everyone else missing, they'll tell you it's a halal, he's dead, said Shiva, he's gone, they pay the out, they pay the pension, whatever has to be paid, we know he's dead, we can't recover the body. But these boys were captured by Syria. How can you know? The Arabs are cruel. It's also part of Arab mentality. They can trial a person in the year 2000, find him guilty at 3 o'clock, and, next, and the whole trial takes 15 minutes, and execute him 10 minutes later. The Western world goes crazy, but the Arabs can do whatever they want. They fight from the world. They have the oil. They fight from the world. So here too, I'll tell you what became the determining factor. Everything hinged once again on Kissinger. Once Kissinger worked out the peace, the withdrawal, the cessation of hostilities, exchange of prisoners, Kissinger was called upon to investigate. Are there any more POWs left? And when Kissinger brought back the word that the Egyptian government swears that they have sent back every live Israeli soldier that they captured, they were matter the Agunat. That's how long they had to wait. It's not a question, you cannot say months, a year, two, three. It depends upon halachic common sense. So you see the second rove, the rove of the this tremendous concept depends when, where, how, a year, two, three. You cannot give a black and white rule. It's not a mathematical formula. There has to be a hush, a feeling. You have to know what you're doing. Okay. And now let me pick up almost where I left off last year. Rabbi Vajra Yosef was practically unknown when the Yom Kippur War broke out. 
The story of his life is a fascinating story. It's one of the sagas that make for a good movie. His father was had a grocery store in Geula. It was a typical Svadic family, uh, what you call Mesoatim, traditional, what we call in our language basically Shomatoru Mitzvat, but a traditional family, not a family of Lamdanun, Lamdanim or Lamdanut. Ravavadja had an unbelievable genius mind, photographic memory, winds up in Porat Yosef, is their best student, becomes an Avbeiton in Cairo, Egypt. From Egypt, obviously, has to come back to Israel with the world with Muhammad HaShikhrur breaking out, the war of liberation. In Israel, he becomes a member of the Beitin of, of Petach Tikva. It should have meaning to some of you. Who was the Av Beitin in Petach Tikva at the time? Rav Reuven Katz. How do you know that? Do you study with Rav Michal? You study with Rav Michal. So it was Rav Michal's, Rav, 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 very interesting, that you, I'm proud that you know it. The Degel Reuven, Rav Reuven Katz, was the Av Beitin of, was the Ravan Av Beitin of Petach Tikva, and Rav Avadji Yosef was a member of his Beitin. That's the way Rav Avadji began in Israel. A regular Dayan, one of the Dayanim. Of course, Rav Avadji developed a reputation as a posek mufak. From there he went on to the Tel Aviv Beitin. From there he goes on to the chief rabbinate of Tel Aviv. From there he goes on to become the Svadik chief rabbi, the Rishon Letzion of the state of Israel. Now, following the Yom Kippur War, Rabbi Vajay Yosef was called in by the military rabbinate and they handled the hundreds and hundreds of cases of the Agunat, if they could be mate them, and under Ravadi Yosef's leadership and guidance, on the Baitan was the chief rabbi of the Israeli rabbinate at that time, Rab Mordechai Piron, who succeeded Rab Shlomo Gorin, and the person who today is the longest serving general, I believe, in the history of the Israeli army, uh, Rav Gad Navon who is still in his 80s, still in there as chief rabbi, although there's a lot of controversy, it's not good. See, a military, the greatness of the military system is that every few years the officers are forced out, are forced up and out, up and out, up and out. Rianun, in other words, they, you know, an army has to always think ahead. You always need people who have to be aggressive, who have to think, who have to push their way up, who have to achieve and, and, and have new ideas. And there's a lot of controversy. Those of you that know, a lot was written. There was a bad, bad mistake with a burial with, with two soldiers, bodies mixed up. They're blaming the Rapnet. I don't know whether it's the Rapnet's fault. I think when they're now investigating it, I have a feeling that it's going to turn out that the Rapnet only accepted information given to them by forensic experts outside the Rapnet. And I have a feeling it's not the Rapnet's fault, but I can't be sure. I don't want to go into more detail. The reasons why I speak, because I'm, I'm related to some high-ranking Israeli officers. But... I think I think I may be correct. Time will tell. Time will tell. Gentlemen, this Baton sat and with Ravaj's guidance found the heta for every Agona. With Ravaj's guidance and the Trivat that he wrote placed Ravaja in the forefront of Psak in the state of Israel.
And I would say, if you want to look at the turning point where Ravavadja becomes the Poshik Muvhak for most of the Svatic world and a certain element even in the Ashkenazic world, at least at that time, it goes back to the post-Yom Kippur War period. Now, I want to ch- quote from the Yabiyoma. All of you know that the Yabiyoma is Ravavadja's collection of Chivat. I want to quote from Chelik Vav. Just to be very brief now, Rav Ovadi Yosef has issued tens and tens of svarim. Many of them he wrote himself. Some of them were put together by his children. The two most important sets are the Abiya Oma and the Yechavadat. Let me talk about Yechavadat for a minute. Yechavadat is the less important. How did Yechavadat begin? Shortly after I came in on Aliyah, when Rav Ovadji becomes famous, every Friday he would speak on the radio and answer questions. Yechavadat began as the transcripts of Rav Ovadji's answers to the questions that were phoned into him when he spoke on the radio on Friday. That's how Yechavadat begins. The Abir Omer is the much greater work where Avavadja takes the most difficult questions and he shows his unbelievable bekiyat in putting together his answers. Many of the Yabiyah Omer questions are direct from the Batadinim where he served and it's simply the transcripts of the Psakim that he wrote. And I want to tell you in parentheses, for those of you who know what's going on in Israel, there are two types of students sitting in this room. Some of you are Western, modern, Orthodox Jews who wear black hats, who happen to be visiting the state of Israel. I'm not talking to you. Some of you are Torah Jews who by chance grew up in the Western world and now have come home to Eretz Israel. To those of you in the latter category, and know what's going on here with the politics, I want to tell you a klau gadol amruba Torah that everyone calls me. I have saved many a spiritual life by what I'm about to tell you very succinctly. Separate Vavavadja the posek from Vavavadja the politician. You understand what I'm saying? When you deal with Vavavadja the politician, some of you will have heartburn, some of you will choke, some of you will smile. No two of you will have the same reaction. When you deal with him as a posek in the Abiyya Omer, this is Rav Ovadja, the eternal Rav Ovadja. Rav Ovadja permitting the, the, the turban to go on Friday night with so-called Goyim, who are Jews, believe me, with all the Chilu Shabbos, this is Rav Ovadja, the politician, caught up with Shas and all that has happened on the Israeli scene. If you don't separate the two, you will suffer immeasurably. Because Rabbi Vajji Yosef is the only Gadol Torah I know of that has real political influence, power on the Israeli scene. There are other Gadolim who are politicians or engage in politics, but they dabble in it and they're on the periphery. Rabbi Vajji gave Barak the government. When they return you to Shalayim or parts of it, only Rabbi Vajra made it possible. Shas made it possible. This is politics. 
But as a posake, separate the two. That's the only way I can keep my head sane. Now, I'm calling from Chelik Rav Yabiya Omer, Siman Gimel. Has a tremendous chiva. And last time we dealt with the first part of the chiva, the question was, they found a disc, the ID, the skit we say in Hebrew. In English, I believe they use the word disc. Correct me if I'm wrong. The ID, the dog tag. And they found the name Yaakov Azer. And the question was, can you depend upon the disc? Can you depend upon this as valid information? Can you depend upon this to identify the body, to be mater, this person, la halacha ulamaisa? And, and this was exactly the question they asked Rav Avadya Yosef. Why should there be a suffake here? Why should there be a suffake? Very simply, maybe the man, maybe this Yaakov Oza lent his disc to somebody else. Maybe it wasn't his disc to begin with. Maybe he left it out of his hand. How do you know for sure that this is the disc found on this body? This is the man. This is the person. Rabbi Vajra Paskins Lahalacha, we spoke about this this way at the end of classes last May. Rabbi Vajra Paskins Lahalacha, that the disc, even if we have a concept of Hashin and Lashela, we worry about borrowing something. And I spoke with the fellas when I went to YU. Guys borrowed shirts from one another. We were poor. A guy had a date Thursday night. Thursday night was date night, whatever the reasons were. Not Mishma night, date night. A guy had to go out on a date. He borrowed a white shirt from another guy. All right, today maybe you don't have to borrow shirts. It's a different world. Thank God. Shirts we lend. Would we lend a disc? Absolutely not. That's personal. It's you. It has no value for anybody else. It's forbidden by our Lord to lend. And of Vajra Paskins that you can depend upon the disc to absolutely identify this body that's been blown to smithereens and you can't tell the face, you can't see the face, you can't identify through other ways. You found the disc, this is the body, Lahalacha Ulamaisa. This person, the name that he, that, that Ravavadji refers to, this uh, Yaakov uh, Azar has not contacted his home. He's been missing since the battle. This is him. You can be Mata the Aguna 100%. You know something? And this is what I said to you, Jack at Mincha. Watch what I'm going to show you. I was curious. This name, Yaakov Azar, that appears in the Abiyah Omer, was he a real person? Or was it just Plony Almoni? A lot of times in response to literature, you have Chaim Yankel Bereb Shmerabarel. In other words, Plony Almani, you give a name, uh, Shimon Ben Ruven, Ruven Ben Shimon, whatever it is, Laravcha de Milta, not, not that it's really the person, but just that the chiva should be tangible. I remembered, give me one second, Shrakai. I remembered during the summer, when I got back from America, that following the Yom Kippur War, because so many people were killed, and there was such a depression here, Tzfag and Ali Yisrael did something they never did before, and thank God have never had to do since. They published a volume, HaChalalim V'Anedarim B'Muchet Yom HaKippurim, with just the names of the people who perished, their parents' names, 
their rank. I understand for bereaved parents, you feel one millionth better if the name of your son, your husband, your brother appears in a book with the semel of Tzva Haganali Yisrael on it. This semel here, this is the army semel, and this is the oath, the oath of Milchemet Yom Kippur. Anyone who participated in the Yom Kippur War got this medal. I have a medal from the Lebanese War. So I take a look. Sure enough, it's real. Only one mistake. The name is Ozea. Yaakov Ozea. Samal Yaakov Ozea Bemosha Vijorgia from Kiyat Ono. So first of all, I want to recall his memory and I want to tell you that Reb, Reb Ovadji is talking about a real person. When I picked up the book, and I had it in my possession, I just had to find it. When I picked up the book, I started like a good Jew. How can you look only at one page? I'm forgetting my English. How do you say that in English? How would you say that in English? At the flip pages. Fine. Believe it or not, look what I found. Gentlemen, Samal Zamir Aryeh. Zamir Aryeh. It doesn't mean anything to you. Ah, so, so I tell you things, Danny, and you don't listen to me. In parentheses, Soloveitchik, a member of the Soloveitchik family, died in the Yom Kippur War. I told you, how did the Rav get the name Soloveitchik? How did the family take the name? No one had names in Europe until they came out of the ghetto. <coughs> Why did they take the name? The Rav told us. The Rav is a Levi. Levian's task is to sing in the Beit Hamikdash. If you've ever listened to the various tapes of the Rav on Tishabav, you'll hear him sing some of the Kinot. If you ever heard him Masada Kedushin, the Rav really thought he had a good voice. He had a better voice than I have, I'll tell you that. Uh, when they took the name Soloveitchik, it means in Polish, Nightingale. Zamir in Hebrew is Nightingale. Some of the Soloveitchiks in Israel, some of the branches of the family that are not, they're not Reb Meish, it's not Reb Chaim's children, it's from the Beit HaLevi, it goes back a generation. They're cousins, distant cousins. They took the name Zamir. I take a look. Samal Zamir, in parentheses, Soloveitchik, Aryeh, Bendovachana of Cholon. So I call your attention that the Imkippa War, no one was immune. The most meyuchistic families with Amcha Yisrael, everyone paid the price. Shragai, yes, I have one more thing to say today. Time. No, no, not, not the Arabs. Not we're not chayshish. The Arabs took it away. Well, chayshish, maybe he lent it to someone. You understand? To I. No, the, the, what is it, at a time of battle, no one has time. No, no, at a normal, forget about what happened with Baumel is the exception that proves the rule. At a time of battle, you find the body on the battlefield, you can't identify, but his ID is on him. Believe me, it's his ID. You understand? At a time, you ever see a battlefield? Oh, you should never see. We should never have it again. A battle, I've said a thousand times, you're a whole in the army. All you do is train, 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 train. When the moment of battle finally comes, the guy who's trained did basic training, served for three years, did miluim. Finally, the moment comes. You know what's going to Guys go out of their minds. Shell shock. You've heard that expression? It is so... You have any idea of the noise? And there's no direction. And they're planes. And they're guns. And they're this. And they're that. Now, you hope that there's someone directing it all. 
many times the Israeli army is functioning. But if God forbid they're surprised, but that much that as an Arab soldier is going to come and take the... No, the reason Bamel's dog tag, half of it winds up with Arafat, is in captivity, they took it off. And Syria, whoever had it, gave it to Arafat. We don't know the whole story yet. Yonah uh, uh, Bamel feels he knows the story. Uh, the Israeli uh, uh, brains you know, that are dealing with it, they feel that Arafat revealed whatever information he has, he really doesn't know anymore. Yonah thinks Arafat knows more, but he's afraid of Syria. I don't know what the answer is, you understand? Generally speaking, if it's Israeli intelligence versus Yonah Bamel, I go with Yonah Bamel, if you understand what I'm saying, because this man became a one-man intelligent, you know what it means? A, a Jew from Borough Park came in Aliyah a year or two after we did. I taught, his, I taught uh, Asnap Bamel in Michlala. This man lo- loses his son in 82, never hears from him again. He became a one-man intelligence organization. The Israeli intelligence can learn from him. You understand what I'm saying? But I don't know. You have to ask Jonah Bamel. Maybe we can bring him here one day. It's not a problem for me to bring him here. And you can ask him the question. It's a good question. Now, I only want to go one step further in the tshuva. Um, we ended up last year, and I just want to tie it in uh, so we can start with or everything new next week. What about clothes? And, and, and in other words, what about a pair of pants? And in the pair of pants, you find the identification. Can you depend upon this as identification? And this is a much more serious question. Because now if you're talking about a pair of pants, pants a person lends out. Why shouldn't he lend it out? And if he lends it out, perhaps he lent it out with the disc in the pocket. And if that would be the case then halacha lamaisa, there is no way that you can be mater. Chashinim l'shayla. He lent his pants, he lent his shirt, he forgot to empty the pocket. How many times do we send our pants into the laundry and we left a handkerchief in, we left t- tissues in? It's, it's a very interesting real shayla. Rabbi Vajir cites all the achronim. The achronim deal with it in length. And he says as follows. That even if you're Hashin and Lishailan civilian life, there's a lot more room to be Mekil in army. Why? Because in the army, basically, no one is supposed to lend anything to anybody else. Everyone has their own clothes. Everyone is responsible for their own clothes. The concept of lending basically doesn't exist in an army. These are your pants, these are your clothes, this is your gun, this is your canteen. These are all your personal effects. It's not civilian life. This is life and death for you. This is what you live with. This is what you're comfortable with. You're not going to lend it out. In addition, even if you do lend it out, with all that we have forgotten in our pockets, how many of us forgot a wallet in the pocket when you send it to the cleaner? I admit it can happen, but so far I have forgotten Hundreds of handkerchiefs and tissues, cleaner, washing machine. I have never yet forgotten a wallet. Okay? And I don't know. Maybe I have a better memory than others, but I don't want to say I have such a... Not for Bavadji Yosef, I never Brown Lichtenstein, and only Aaron Rekhefet. You understand what I'm saying? We don't, we don't forget. We don't forget wallets. Allah had come of a comma. You don't forget your ID card. And... And he quotes all the Achronim, and certainly in consonance 
with the second robe of Avad Zichro, that since he hasn't contacted his family, even though he's been missing in battle, there's no sign of life, and the prisoners have come home, Kissinger swears, they've exchanged everybody, here you have the Treirube, the Sveik Sveika, La Halacha, Ulamaisa. Okay. My dear students, let me reiterate. Uh, Torah works with learning and knowledge. The heart of Torah is halacha. Devah Hashem zu halacha. Halacha has a tremendous, tremendous built-in dynamics. Law merits chassid. Korach, if you remember the Rebbe's Meridic talk on the Machlokes between Korach and Moshe Rabbeinu, Korach said it's all common sense. That's exactly the statement. If there's a ha, ha, if there's a rabbinic will, there's a halachic way. That means common sense. You want this, pressure the rabbis, do what's logical, why should a person suffer, etc. All right, if it would be that easy, we wouldn't need a Torah. Wouldn't need a Torah Shabbat. Torah Shabbat wouldn't need 40 years to study, to, to, to have a Rebbe, to master it. Moshe Rabbeinu, on the other hand, understood that Torah works within its own framework. You can't apply common sense. It's not there's a certain dynamics to Torah and one has to miss the Torah and this year we're going to devote finishing up Aguna take us a few weeks and then on to, to the whole question of Tarek Yisrael in the sense of pedigree Mamzeret unbelievably fascinating topics but topics that one has to understand and know now Halacha we spoke today about Trey Rubey, Maim Chandler himself, the second row, modern times, how that second row becomes a million times stronger. We spoke about the Yom Kippur War, just handled two little problems, the disc, the pants. Next week, the best is yet to come, we're going to get involved with photography, we're going to get involved with planes, missiles, parachuting, bailing out, uh, tooth identification and, and words on the contemporary scene that's unbelievable how dramatically life changes. Gentlemen, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, Vezrat Hashem Yitbarach, I continue opening up my 41st year of teaching Torah. We begin on time, we end on time. You meet a different Aaron Rakefet. He doesn't know one word of Halacha. He doesn't know one word of, uh, of, of Shalat and Shuvat. Tomorrow morning, I start recreating I checked 1973 Tshuva Drasha of the Rav. A Drasha that was said minutes before the Yom Kippur War broke out. Just a few days before. It's a meritic Drasha. Those of you that know the Rav, love the Rav, want to hear the Rav in his prime, I begin tomorrow with Rath Hashem. It's going to be a very, very exciting year in the Rav's class for reasons I'll tell you tomorrow. However, I have to have one word of caution. This year, there is not one word of hashkafa on my part formally, meaning last year, the year before, Monday mornings, I took my time, I, I, I let off steam what was bothering me. I wound up having more students at my hashkafa than listening to the words of the Rav. That is bad news for the Rav's memory. I gag myself. Not one word of Ashkafa. Number two, you now have Rabban Lichtenstein. They traced me down in America. I'm getting emergency calls. Shavstein, Ktab, this one, that one. The Israel, Friedman, David Miller, everyone wants to speak with me. I couldn't imagine what happened. They want to know if I objected to Rabban teaching on Monday. 
I can't object. Rabbaran is the boss that helps some of the students here, I understand. However, I will finish 10.30 on the button so you have ample time to prepare to Rabbaran. You can go from little Aaron to big Aaron and not be overwhelmed. Now, if the need should arise that Danny Yau could give me a petition signed by 15 students, Rebbe, this is happening, that is happening, who are the what do you have to say about it? Or, I'm bursting inside and I can't control myself, I will announce, this coming Monday at 9 o'clock, it is a special Hashkafa Shira, Aramrat Kefet, letting off steam on the following topic. Gentlemen, until we meet again, in health and happiness, thank you for being my students. Das Vidanya. Thank you very much. Appreciate it anyway. Right, right around the corner from you. Okay. You know where? Emuna. Jack. Jack. You saw the. Yeah, you saw it. Okay, good. Okay, but give me a call if not tom- tomorrow night or Tuesday. We'll talk after the lecture. I, I want to come. I want to talk with you yeah. in the end because I had a terrific experience in Canada. They, they were so hungry. The Canadians, the Mizrahi, like. Uh, Oy, the trouble is that I can't go back in. I'm back last time. i got to move on. Also, I want to arrange that my book should be in Australia by the time I get there. The publisher wants to know details. You see, there's a little, because he wants to ship it. I understand to go from Hoboken, New Jersey, to the land of the kangaroos. It takes a little time. Uh, God bless. Your son is in... You, you, you heard my words. Okay. Baruch Hashem. Baruch. I had nachat. I'm Manish had nachat. Yeah, one second.